Hello, and welcome to Haynes and Boone's special webinar series in the wake of COVID-19. Webinars we will be hosting on a weekly basis to keep you informed of important legal updates. We invite you to bookmark our COVID-19 webpage to sign up for upcoming webinars. My name is Jennifer Radine, and I'm the Director of Diversity and Inclusion at Haynes and Boone. Today we'll be addressing discrimination in the U.S. during times of crisis. Before we get started with today's webinar, here are a few housekeeping notes. This program is being presented via live WebEx broadcast. We are audio recording this webinar so that we may make it available for future playback. Also, we have applied for CLE for this program New York and Texas, but it is pending review and approval. A CLE credit code word will be announced at the end of the webinar with instructions for obtaining CLE credit. Time permitting, we will have a question and answer session at the end of this presentation. If you are joining via webinar, you type Q&A panel on the right sidebar of your computer screen. We will attempt to answer all questions depending on the number of questions we have the ability to run over by 15 minutes and include at 1.15 if necessary. Finally, for our webinar attendees, if you experience any technical or audio difficulty in the Q&A panel, and we will have someone contact you to assist. Before I introduce our wonderful panel, I would like to take a minute to provide some background on what has been occurring during the pandemic and therefore why we felt it was necessary to host this webinar. During the pandemic, the instances of bias and discrimination against minority groups has increased significantly. You may have seen some of the headlines. In particular, the Asian American population is not only experiencing bias and discrimination, but they have been victims to hate crimes, which are happening across the country. Such instances range from horrible name calling and racial slurs to violent offenses, including a stabbing that took place at the Sam's Club in Midland, Texas. And the FBI has reported that hate crimes will increase throughout the pandemic. Asian Americans of different descent are being targeted because they are believed to be Chinese and because for some reason offenders believe the cause of COVID-19 or spreading the virus. This atrociousness is the reason we are here today. I have, we are going to have an open and honest dialogue about bias and discrimination in the U.S. during times of crisis. We are fortunate to have the following people here today to discuss these difficult issues. I will start by introducing our panelists. Our moderator, Albert Tan, who is a partner at Haynes and Boone, serves on our board of directors and is the co-chair of the Fund Finance Group. James Hahn is principal real estate counsel for Whole Foods. Sufyan Sohel is the deputy director and counsel for CARE Chicago, which is the Council on American Islamic Relations. Sandra Yamate, profession. We are also fortunate to have Tamara Debit with us here today. Tamara is a partner at Haynes and Boone in our labor and employment group and will comment on some of the issues the panelists raised during the panel and the top three things employers can do to reduce harassment and discrimination in the workplace. Now without further delay, let me turn this over to Albert for the panel discussion. Albert. Thank you, um, Jen, for the introduction. I hope everyone can hear me okay. Yeah, for the for the panelists, uh, give me a thumbs up so I could I could see you guys. Okay, great. Um, so um, so when 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 this topic came up and Jen approached um, extended invitation about this particular topic, um, I absolutely jumped at the opportunity to um, to serve as a moderator for this important topic. Um, it, this topic is actually very personal to me um, for several reasons. Uh, as an immigrant, when my family moved to the United States, um, when we when we first got to the United States, uh, we moved to a neighborhood that I was the, the the only Asian and minority person in 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 my elementary school. Um, so growing up. Um, uh, I have faced some of this racial tension and discrimination and some of the bullying that comes along with, I think, in my mind, um, in general, just lack of lack of familiarity with different personal background, culture, language, and so forth. Um, and most recently, serving on the Asian Pacific intersection of the State Bar of Texas, we we actually have 
um, uh, as a as a group, along with the other sister Asian American bar associations, we've noticed such an increase in rhetoric, as Jen have mentioned in um, in her introduction of the various articles that been written on some of the racial tension and targeted um, racial profiling and interest in general hostility. And um, we noticed it also just not not only just in the sense of not in the media, but also when we listen to some of the political rhetoric that um, that has been um, raised in 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 television and also in media. And and I understand some of the con some of the concepts of why some of the political rhetoric is being raised. But I think um, the concern that I have is really it's 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 such a fine line, and that our are the political rhetoric of trying to thread such a fine uh, the thread into the needle of distinguishing between the Chinese what the action of the Chinese government and and the Chinese people. So um, collectively as a group, we the sister bars we had uh, wrote a letter in response to some very insensitive comments made by our U.S. Senator um, Cornyn regarding the the background of the coronavirus and 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 placing the blame on the the on on the China coming out of China virus and and calling and saying the 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 the, the culture of, of China and um, and we asked Senator Corner to retract his insensitive statement. So in connection with that and having kind of as a group dealing with it and also very quickly following through that we came across um, an article from the um, Huffington Post that really touched upon a lot of some of these um, issues that has happened across the United States. Um, and, and specifically we came across an article about the Midland Texas um, uh, assault. Um, so what I want to do is I want to give you guys a heads up that it's um, the, the graphic I'm saying, it really kind of sets a tone as to why this issue is so important um, and why it, that the, the, the Asian American community as a whole is very vulnerable in, I think, what I think is going to be a heightened tension because anytime when you have this many number of people, 22 million people unemployed, um, the general sense is that we've seen it and we have panelists who can share um, kind of their experience and have much more knowledge than I do in terms of uh, the historical context. When you have this much unemployment and um, and some of the, the tension that is here, um, folks are looking for someone to blame. And I think being different and look different um, is easy to assign that blame. And we could talk a little bit more about it during the panel on 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 some of some of the past cases. So this particular um, image uh, against its graphic, it highlights what is that what is that issue for us. So Kathy, if you can post the image. Okay. So this is this is the young boy who is five years old. Um, who um, him and and his family, they're they're Burmese family out in Midland, and this is. Um, they were brutally attacked while they were going about their shopping trip in Sam's Club in Midland, Texas. Um, as you can see from the photos that the child is very lucky to um, escape um, injury to his eye. That the, the cut was severe, um, but fortunately it missed his eye. Um, uh, this is, that image really showed the danger that we're facing as a community. The, the next image I want to show it have I received this text from some people I knew um, where they 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 shared this text with me of a video of another similar age kid um, in in basically um, in a similar context as relating to the virus and and the 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 whereabouts of it and how it came about I should say. So Kathy, if you could play that video for us, it's a little grainy, but I think you'll be able to get the gist of it. 
might have to turn on the volume. Yeah, yeah, I don't think that video came out as well, but I think the text that the gist of it, if I could just summarize really, it's that um, it's a background of the kid playing. And um, uh, the, the, the kid was asked, why can't he go out and play? And um, he, basically, he basically said that because someone ate a bat and then the, the, the father then coached him to say basically what the what who was the, the he at least what they think was the cause of it. Um, I think the reason I want to kind of bring this as kind of the introduction for us is that in we have really in two instances of two little boys in one who is on the receiving end of the attack, and then we have one on the other end who I think it largely it's the, this is why we're here is the education as to why that it is important that we educate um, not only ourselves, but in general, our broader community of, of the sensitivity and, and the, the, the critical issue that we're facing. It's really about educating and the, the, that be very conscious of, your, of our actions and what we teach our, our children and the people that we love in respecting others and um, and making sure that um, that we don't perpetrate hate and 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 discrimination and um, insensitive language. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to our panelists because um, uh, it, it the again I think the concern that I have is the when you have this many people unemployed, which is the largest number in our history. Um, uh, people are going to be looking for blame and throughout history in the United States um, share that there are instances where we have we have we've been placed in similar circumstance quite not not although not exactly in this context like what we're facing because this is so so unique but I think um, but there is some context um, and so what I like to do first is um, maybe I'll, I'll turn it to um, uh, Sandra, um, if you can get us, because I think as a Japanese American, I think you can set the stage for us um, in terms of, uh, of, of the kind of the US history. And then, and then we'll, I'll turn to you, Sufan, on most recent uh, post 9-11 in, in respect to the Muslim community. Sadly, it's it's actually part of a long history of bias and discrimination in the U.S. Um, directed against people of Asian ancestry, beginning with things like um, exclusion acts and alien land laws through the Japanese American internment, and even you know in the early 1980s, 1982, the murder of Vincent Chin, who was um, a Chinese American who was attacked by some out of work. Auto, uh, auto workers who wanted a convenient target to blame for what they saw as their, uh, their inability to find employment during the, um, the rise of the Japanese auto industry. Uh, so it's not, it's not new and it's not unique to the circumstance. I think as you said earlier, Albert, um, part of it is people looking to find scapegoats when they're angry and scared. Sufyan, can you unmute? Yeah. You need to unmute, Sufyan. Uh, I think that, you know, here in America, we have such a long history of discriminating, not only against Asians, but almost every group who's ever called us home. I don't know how many of you have seen the movie Gangs in New York, for example, with Leonardo DiCaprio, but it shows it's set in 
civil war and when the Irish are coming off the boats, they have a choice of either living in poverty or joining the Union Army to fight the uh, rebellion in the South. And uh, they were just hated upon by the natives who were maybe one generation older of immigrants themselves from somewhere else. And we see this time after time after time. And what we're seeing, including uh, the stories that Albert shared, restaurants and homes being vandalized. We're seeing people being terribly harassed. We're seeing individuals physically assaulted and spat upon. Um, one story was that a per individual family's uh, car and home had flyers that said, you guys are Chinese viruses, get out. And this is very, very similar to what we saw not only after 9-11 with the Muslim community, but even more recently uh, in 2015 and 16 with the rhetoric that we heard through the presidential election of calling for a complete ban of Muslims is that we as society are always looking for a group to otherize and to blame for anything that bad that's happening. And unfortunately right now, I think Albert hit it on the head of as we continue, as people are seeing the longer term effects of COVID-19 on not only our daily lives, but our bank accounts um, and our jobs, they're gonna continue to, I think we're just gonna see a ramp up of some of these cases and stories uh, faced by Asian Americans, more specifically Chinese Americans. Yeah, and I and 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 interesting, you know, and we have James. It's it's um, it's even though it's the the rhetoric is focused on Chinese Americans or in general Chinese, but as we know, um, folks really the general population, frankly, there's really not much of a distinction. If, if you look Asian in general, you're going to get targeted. Um, James, um, you and I, I think um, we were, we, uh, James is a, is a client of ours at Haynes and Boone. And um, very recently, James and I, um, we, were, we were talking about um, this very topic. And James um, is joining us on this panel because he um, just very recently also had a personal experience. And James, would you mind sharing what you experienced and how you feel as, as a, Father of a young young boy and um, and living in um, and how you're preparing yourself for 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 this, right? Um, so, I thought I thought the the coronavirus and and the racism associated really wouldn't touch me personally. I I'd, I'd read about these things. I'd seen them on the news, and a part of you, whether it's unreasonable or not, hopes and thinks that. This is happening outside of your home, outside of your town, outside of your city. Um, I was I was shopping. I was doing some grocery shopping, not at Whole Foods, um, at another at another shopping <laughs> or a grocery company, a grocery store. And um, I'd noticed when we were lining up to get into the grocery store, there was one individual who who'd been kind of staring at me, making it very apparent that that this individual was, was disgusted by the fact that I was in line right behind her. And um, we went into the store and out of the corner of my eye, I could see her kind of walking towards me and casually in passing, she muttered, thanks for the virus and just kept walking. So in that moment, you know, Albert, you talk about feelings. I think many of us on this call um, who are minorities have experienced this sort of, of passive and casual racism at some point in our lives. And it invokes a, a very toxic cocktail of emotions. It, it, it's confusion, it's anger. A part of it is a little bit of sadness. Um, you know, a lot, many of us do the right things or the, the, what we've been told are the right things, the, the lifelong pursuit of assimilation, right? To become an, an American and after so many years of doing this and, and achieving certain levels of success, as many of us have, you feel that, okay, maybe, maybe the worst is behind us. And the past few weeks, I've, I've found myself kind of thinking over, you know, what this means to us. And those, those thoughts have really been percolating in my mind for the past few weeks, especially in light of that event, which was a sober reminder that 
there's a lot of anger out there and there are people who will direct that anger as misguided as it might be towards people who have no responsibility for the things that have happened in our country. Yeah, thanks James for, for sharing that. Um, I think that's right. I think this, it, because it is personal to, to us, um, it, it having, I think each of us have some always um, growing up being different um, and in my case, being an immigrant, um, some of this thing is opening up some old wounds that uh, that as we we try our darndest in trying to assimilate as as much as possible to in the general in, in the general community, be very active within the general community, um, and to take part in civic contribution. Um, it it's how that in in a moment like this. I, it's you, it, I agree with you, James. Is that you, there's a lot of mixed emotion of how much of American are we really are, and how people view us. Will they all will they ever accept us as being true Americans when um, we just look so different? Um, and and um, so I, I don't. You know, one of the things is 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 I feel like it is it's education. Um, and I want to see if there are some lessons that we could draw from past experiences um, that maybe Chandra, Sandra and Sufan, I'll start with Sandra, that you that we can take away from because it, it's what can we do actively, proactively within the community and within ourselves um, to help um, in in real in preventing the escalation? I think that history tells us, it, it teaches us the whole experience of the Japanese American community um, is a living example of the fact that um, super extra uh, acculturation and assimilation by people of Asian ancestry is not by itself going to be the solution. Um, it doesn't necessarily convey uh, a sense that we are any more American than anyone else. Um, if anything, uh, it also serves, I think, to force us to have to sacrifice a sense of cultural and community identity that um, it's tragic to lose. Um, and I would not want to encourage other Asian ethnic groups to, to follow that model, because I think that um, if anything, it's something that you can't you can't reclaim later on. So I think the idea of trying to uh, over assimilate into stereotypes of who or what is American is really not the solution. Solution. I totally agree, and we've seen it not work after World War II, after 9/11, groups. We try to show, yes, we are American. Uh, we are more American than we are this. And I don't, I mean, it doesn't work. They still get asked, what are you? Are you more Muslim or are you more American? And I, I just start laughing at that question because one's my faith and one's my nationality. And uh, they're two very different aspects of who makes me me. Um, I think what the greater community can do better is one, Work, when immigrants are coming and when people are coming is work on integration. Let's help find jobs, let's help find homes, let's help language access, but then also understanding what are the differences between different cultures and faiths. As we've seen, um, people of all Asian backgrounds are facing hate because of this quote unquote Chinese virus. After 9-11, we saw people throughout uh, Indian Peninsula uh, Pakistani, Bangladeshi, Sikh, Hindu. Uh, we saw people throughout the Middle East, Coptic Christians, people who weren't Muslim facing discrimination because they were perceived to be Muslim. And people not taking the time to really understand the diversity of these regions, as well as uh, getting to know who these neighbors are. Um, but unfortunately, I think we still live in a society which otherizes. We each have our own biases and we see people who don't look the same as us as others. 
throughout my childhood and even early adulthood, I've had friends from high school and college, you know, call me their token brown friend, um, make them Latin jokes to me about my uncle living in the Middle East or something like that. And, you know, they say it, they say they say it out of a place of love, but it's their way to really distinguish themselves from them versus me and that I am very unique from who they are. So until we work to really build more inclusive companies and societies, I think we still have a long way to go until we see uh, this acceptance and inclusion. And you want to you want to follow up? Yeah, I think I completely agree with everything Sandra and Sufyan have have said so far. And um, one of in this topic came to mind recently with the remarks uh, made by former presidential nominee, uh, prom sorry, presidential candidate Andrew Yang, when he he wrote this article about how you know Asian Americans to combat racism should be overly American or extra American. And um, I, I think this type of thinking has been coined as respectability politics, where minorities need to do more uh, to act better, quote unquote, to get better treatment from the majority. And as Sufian pointed out, uh, there, there are fundamental flaws with this sort of thinking. Um, unfortunately, a lot of immigrants and um, you know, second generations of, of immigrant parents They've kind of been taught along these lines of thinking. And I think one of the bigger problems with this principle is that it takes the onus off of the victims and it puts it, I mean, I'm sorry, it, it takes the onus off the perpetrators and it puts it on the victims to do more, despite the fact that they are being victimized. Um, and it, it just, it's, it's ineffective. I think as Sandra pointed out, history has taught us unequivocally that this isn't the answer. So, you know, we'll, we'll discuss this more today, but um, I did want to point out that there is a, a very well entrenched line of thinking that the potential solution here uh, is what we should go with. But it's, it is my opinion that that's not the answer. Figure out something different. Yeah. What What's interesting to me is is that um, is that. I, I, in a way, I'm trying to um, understand what is what is going to, in terms of the 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 the, the rhetoric that we will see, um, if, if when we read the newspaper these days, um, when we read the paper these days, um, you, I'm already sensing some of the tension that's going to come out, and it's going to get become full blown as we. We, as we return to work, um, as folks are getting out from their sanctuary in, in, in play or, or um, uh, and stay at home waters, is, is the need that, that the, each country, not only China, but also United States, of assigning blame to what has happened to, um, to the overall um, economic impact. And um, and and also being in an election year, um, uh, there's going to be these talking points, and subtly you're seeing it in coming out of some of the senators come in in Washington D.C. of uh, saying that China has to pay for this. We're not. We're going to. We're we're not going to pay back our the treasuries that they hold um, as a as a form of compensation. And then we will have the same rhetoric coming out of, of China. And all of this is not going to help us, frankly, because it just goes on to the, the, the typical blame game. Um, uh, I, 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 I'm turning back to the, to the, to the panelists in, in, you know, practically, even though we've gone through, I think, even in the last cycle, there were a lot of political tension was directed with respect to um, uh, if, if you're looking at a common enemy, there's a lot, there's, there's in the last cycle, there was really folk, people were focused on the Russians tempering in the political elections and so forth. 
but yet there really wasn't the same. I think it's hard to have that equivalent animosity because it's you, how do you identify what non what what Russian might look like in the United States? But because we do look different, I mean, what are there any practical ways that that we can alleviate? Um, biasness and discrimination as we turn as we all return back to the office because I think somehow we are benefited by the fact that we're currently all working from home and there is and we're not commuting as much to the office um, but once we start getting back into the flow practically are there anything that uh, as a community that we could do um, and what what can yeah, because at the end, of, for me, the purpose of this particular panel is about education and um, what we as a as a group, as a community, what we can do on our own to make sure that um, we individually were taking action um, to um, to alleviate and address the biasness and potential discrimination. You know, historically, the response has been um, to focus on educational alternatives and not just, you know, with students in school, but community wide and the broader community beyond just people of Asian ancestry. And we saw, um, you know, in the aftermath of uh, the Vincent Chin murder, we saw the rise of efforts to federalize hate crimes. We saw um, we saw the Asian American community come together for really the first time as a pan-Asian identity um, to think about the fact that all of us are vulnerable to uh, manifestations of anti-Asian, anti-immigrant biases and violence. Um, so that perhaps because we haven't been one of the main focus groups until 9-11 happened, we had allowed a lot of those uh, civil rights and social justice efforts to, I don't wanna say lapse, but perhaps um, they were not quite as important as uh, advancing the community uh, socially and professionally. Uh, I think that 9-11 reminded us that no, we still need to be vigilant. And I think the, ex the experience uh, we're having right now should be another reminder. Um, it maybe is a way of sensitizing millennials in our community who, because they've grown up um, oftentimes in uh, more affluent conditions than their own parents, where they've been able to have the benefits and privileges of, um, of being Americans and not having to have uh, their sense of a racial or cultural or ethnic identity um, viewed negatively and uh, and vociferously, that um, this may remind them that no, uh, this is still a pressing need, and we can't just assume that it's something that you know belongs to ancient history. Um, the other interesting dynamic, though, is that among the various racial groups, Asians have some of the highest rates of outmarriage. You know, marriage with people outside our racial group, and uh, the impact for that as more and more people will be able to consider themselves Asian. I'd like to continue a little bit. And uh, it first starts uh, in the home. I know even my parents still say, oh, those Americans are doing this. And I have to stop them and be like, we are all Americans. And we have to really restart to think the way we see ourselves. We can see ourselves as outsiders. Uh, because we are as much part of the American diaspora and fabric as other communities are. And then it's a reminder to everyone that we're such a young country that we're all from somewhere else. We're all immigrants. We all have, most of us, sorry, we, we do have, you know, our Native American brothers and sisters who um, have their own history and challenges. But, you know, for those of us who have immigrant heritages, uh, we all share that same experience coming here for a better life, opportunity, freedom, et cetera, et cetera. But then I think as immigrants, especially Asian immigrants, I feel sometimes we are less to stand, we're less inclined to stand up for ourselves and let things slide. Um, we 
want to be more just with flow. And we think sometimes that slight biasness and discrimination is just a part of being accepted. And it's to stand up firmly against any uh, perceived or actual hate and say, no, this is not acceptable. And whether it be through legal channels or whether it be through administrative office channels is really start pushing back against those and saying that I'm not gonna tolerate this. Discrimination is not accepted in the workplace or in the school or even in the prison system. And you need to make sure that this problem is rectified. And then education needs to continue. And then it, it, it I think people call it out when they see it. Uh, I know we are working with some of our Asian uh, advocacy partners on doing some bystander intervention training to really make sure that if you see these incidents of hate, whether they be verbal or physical, that at what level do you get yourself involved, whether it be speaking up against standing up against it, stopping it, contacting law enforcement, uh, providing support, et cetera, et cetera. There's many different ways that we can be allies and support one another. And we shouldn't be allowing it to happen towards anybody, especially our community members. Yeah, Sufian, I think I think that's a wonderful point to bring up is is educating um, our our fellow you know, Asian American brothers and sisters that probably the most important thing in my mind right now is that we let one another know that you aren't alone, that we are all facing the similar types of, of thoughts and, and moments of, of kind of sadness and anger um, through no fault of our own. And I was gonna talk about kind of what, what I thought we should do on an individual level. And that was my primary point. Um, the second being, if we're going to respond effectively, I also think that requires a little bit of homework on our end to think through if we were confronted with racism, whether that's physical or, or verbal, how would you respond? Because that sort of muscle memory, quote unquote, that's going to serve you very well when it does happen, because anyone who's been through this experience knows that that palpable tension and that adrenaline rush really will kind of override your rational thinking in that moment a lot of times, or you'll just freeze up. And I find that um, thinking through the process, okay, if someone comes up to me and says something, you know, what, what, what will be my response? How will I, will I stand strong and will I be silent or will I have a response to that? Um, if someone comes and threatens my family or my loved ones, what will be my appropriate level of response? What am I comfortable with? To make those decisions, in real time are gonna be very difficult. So you know, prepare yourself accordingly beforehand. Um, and if you see something happening to a fellow Asian American person, Justice Sufian said, don't leave them on an island. I mean, that's the worst thing we could do to one another is to alien, alienate each other um, because we're afraid of, of repercussions. Because by, by not, being a solidified force does not make the people who want to do harm to us any less dangerous. Yeah, James, that is a that is a um, a wonderful <clears throat> that is a wonderful point. Um, and this experience is, you know, it, me and and my wife, um, you know, we do talk about this, and and I've talked about it with some of my fellow um, Asian Pacific American friends who live abroad. And what's interesting is, is that um, some of them who are Americans, Asian Americans living abroad, they actually express concern because many of them are living in, in Asia, um, whereas they're getting to the age where they're thinking about moving back because of children's college and so forth. Um, they're actually concerned a little bit about, um, about moving back because of, of their concern of what's is taking place in the United States based on what they read um, from the papers and in general media. But I, one of the points that that as as being more more conscientious and knowing what is out there is it has made me much more empathetic about in general about uh, you know overall people of color um, and and just anyone that's different, frankly, anyone who is different. Um, where we a lot of times. Um, uh, I, I, I can understand um, 
why some of the some of the insensitivity relating to other people of color or other folks in general of, of different that are just different and why it's so important that we embrace diversity and why it's so important that we have these educational seminars because um because i think it's it, you get lulled into a certain sense of 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 what is accepted um and the point of of pointing out immediately when you're confronted with a something that might be insensitive i think it is it's a very good point um i think when i received the text message from um people i knew regarding the the, the child saying the the wife can't go outside um i i feel like it was um the people who I, who knew me felt that they could send this to me and think be, and i would find it to be funny um but i think i used that moment as really in responding back to them saying that is not an appropriate text and in fact frankly it's a bad part of education on the on the parents part to even perpetrate that and to lead their children in saying something like that. Um, because um, the, the, the concern that I have is, is that the, the child will then go into some playground and then thinking what he said at home is okay, and then taking it to the playground and saying to someone who might happen to be Asian descent, because again, when you're that age, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Um, I couldn't agree more more with you, Albert, and, and I really like what James had to say, but I would maybe take it a little bit further to point out that, yes, it's really important that we be prepared for, uh, to the extent that we can, we can anticipate what our responses would be when we encounter um, these incidents, that we think about, you know, what's the right response, but by the same token, I think it's important that those of us of Asian ancestry not assume that um, it's only important when it's impacting us or our communities, that we need to be just as vigilant when it's happening with other groups. I think that sometimes it's been disheartening when our community is not quite as forthright as it could be in standing up for other racial uh, groups that are suffering you know, whatever kind of discrimination they may be challenged by. Um, I was really proud after 9-11 when I saw some of these elderly Japanese Americans who had suffered through the internment coming out to speak about how it's important that the Muslim community not be subjected to it, um, you know, that we not forget the lessons that we'd learned. Um, but I do think that it's important that Asians think about how we can be better and more effective allies, um, you know, for, for other groups as well. Um, I'm very mindful of the particular divides in our community on affirmative action. You know, a lot of times um, our community is so worried sometimes that, oh, it's impacting my child who's not going to be able to attend this elite uh, educational institution. We shouldn't eliminate a program that other groups may need. And even in our own community, there are segments of the Asian community that need affirmative action just as much as, as other groups. So um, we need to be a little bit more mindful that and not always be so self-focused. Um, so what I'd like to transition at this point um, is to, um, as, as, as different states are considering uh, getting back to, the, to um, restart the economy, um, uh, I'd like to invite Tamara Devitt um our our labor and employment um practice partner to give a little bit of of thing to keep in mind as we return to the workplace um and and if there are laws that will protect us um in 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 in, in the sense of this the, the discrimination potentials and um so anyways i'll, I'll leave it to tamara Thanks, Albert, uh, and, and thank you to the, the panelists. It was, um, it's, it's such a great and, and robust discussion and it's, it's a difficult topic um, and, and you, you all handle it so well and so honestly and it's so much appreciated. Um, as Albert said, we wanted to talk a little bit about how these serious issues do translate to workplace problems 
and how employers can address the issue. Um, you know, as, as discussed, there's an increased risk of harassment and discrimination in the form of jokes and pictures and text messages that can happen verbally and electronically. You heard earlier talk about microaggressions. Um, you know, these things can all lead to workplace conflict and employee disengagement and dissatisfaction, and of course, discrimination and harassment lawsuits. Um, so we put together a, a list of you know, three practical things that employers can do to try and eliminate racial harassment and discrimination in the workplace beyond just having a, a policy that prohibits it every employer should have. Um, so number one is education and training. Uh, I thought the panelists did such a great job of talking about ways we can educate each other and, and educate our community and our children about the issue. And, and so that, that's one piece of it. And then the other piece of it is you know, more practical training, right? So everyone in the workplace should be trained, not just management, um, but there should be an, an important focus on the managers. You know, they are the eyes and ears and voice of a company's culture. Um, so they should be given tools and techniques to recognize and respond to incidents of harassment that they observe, right? So we commonly refer to this as bystander training, um, but, but tell them what to say, right? That's not okay here at Haynes and Boone. That's not okay here at the company. You need to stop saying that. You need to stop doing that. Um, you know, some of the panelists referred to being uncomfortable just um, commenting or, or saying that's not okay. So you have to give employees and managers tools in order to say that. Um, the message should be emphasized, you know, it goes without saying from the top down, uh, but oftentimes we see, um, you know, managers get trained, but the higher level leaders aren't available for the training or don't show up. Um, it's so important that leadership uh, send the message uh, in different ways, right? So um, include the message in the company's newsletter, particularly now, uh, employees are paying more attention to those types of communications because a lot of us are, are working remotely. Uh, emphasize the importance of nipping prejudice or discrimination in, in the bud, right? Really early on. Uh, it's, it's important to illustrate with examples and provide information in small and easily digestible bites. Uh, number two, make sure that anti-harassment policy certain components. Uh, it should provide examples of harassment. It should define unlawful harassment. Um, certain state laws have uh, specific requirements like California, of course. Um, but importantly, the, the policy should give employees a safe place to report incidents. Um, anonymous hotlines or hotline numbers are ideal, um, but if not, we should identify someone neutral and trusted by employees as a contact person to receive reports of harassment. The policy should specifically say what will happen if inappropriate behavior occurs and managers need to be aware of and communicating about the policy. We handle a lot of litigation and oftentimes managers don't know what the policy is or what the purpose of it is. Um, so this goes to education and training, um, but it's, you know, it, it takes a lot of communicating to, to, to send the message. Uh, finally, the best way for uh, an employer to communicate that the employer will take and does take harassment and discrimination seriously is to take quick action, great behavior occurs, and then make sure that the relevant persons who are involved know what happened, right? So immediately look into any incidents and take remedial action. Um, the law doesn't specify exactly what remedial action is in each circumstance. It depends on uh, what is effective in stopping that particular behavior, and it depends on the particular facts. Um, remedial action might include training, more education. Uh, it might be coaching. It might be discipline. In some cases, uh, you know, termination is, is warranted, and that should be communicated so that you know everybody in the workplace knows how serious it is. Now, bottom line, it's important for employers to take action during these unique times to protect employees from unlawful harassment and discrimination. 
for many non-essential employers, as, as Albert and others refer to, um, when, we, when we do start returning back to the workplace, we expect to see these types of issues escalate. So we know employers are going to have plans for getting people back to work and, and keeping them safe from uh, you know, any health and safety issues. Um, but it's important to also have a plan for managing the potential increase in harassment or discrimination as part of the plan to get back to work. And Albert, I'm going to turn it back to you for uh, Q&A. Great, thank you, Tamara. That that's super helpful. And 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 you know, we're at Haynes and Bill. We're so fortunate to have a have Jen um, as our diversity um, director um, who can help us, you know, with programs um, uh, in terms of training and be sensitive uh, about what um, as we return to, to, to work. So I, Tamara, that's a great suggestion. And um, I'm sure we'll, we'll be working very closely, um, you know, within the firm with you and, and other others and making sure that we have the proper um, plan in place as we return to the, our offices. Um, so we have some time and we have some questions from um, folks. Um, so, um, I, I want to raise one question that we received. Um, it's um, they want to hear more about how to protect the, the blacks and Hispanics that this crisis might, might affect. Um, Sufyan, I'll, I'll, I'll let you start. A great question. I think uh, we're seeing disproportional effects uh, on certain communities, especially black and brown communities. Uh, reading news articles this morning of how uh, citizens who were married to individuals who did not have a social security number not get stimulus checks. So that's primarily undocumented. If you were married to someone who uh, is not legal status in the United States, you would not, and if you were a citizen, you're not getting a stimulus check. Uh, so a lot of our most vulnerable communities are not getting the support that they need from federal government um, even though they themselves are U.S. citizens. I think a lot of community organizations that are on the ground serving those communities have stepped up significantly, and they need as much financial and other forms of support as you can give. I think um, advocating on behalf of those communities within your power is really important, whether it be reaching out to elected officials um, or foundations and funders or if you have access to capital, I mean, money is what's really needed right now. And then things like access to health care, uh, questions on is the justice system really, is it being fair and equitable in these times? Who is being affected in our prison system? And using not only our voices and money, but we are mostly all lawyers here. So using some of our legal skills and pro bono opportunities to really assist uh, those who may be suffering as well. One. May I add to that? I think that there's some other dimensions too that need to be taken into consideration. For instance, um, you know, when when stay at home was first being put in place and you were hearing about all these runs on um, products like toilet paper and the like, one of my friends who works for um, a Latino justice agency was telling me how uh, even though you couldn't find it in many of the large mainstream grocery stores, um, actually in some of the poor minority communities in those stores, it was still abundant. And that was because you had communities where they didn't have the financial wherewithal to stock up like that. They couldn't hoard up these sorts of products because they didn't have the ready cash to do it. We need to think about finding ways to expand um, what many first world people would consider um, you know, necessity like internet access, so that if you're having to have um, children learning electronically via the internet, that they, they they can do it. That they have computers in their homes and they have access to the web. Because without that, yeah, that's gonna that's gonna cause even greater hindrances to their ability to find an equal playing field. So um, we have to think really broadly and deeply about how this is impacting 
um, underprivileged communities. Uh, I've got some questions coming in. Um, I, I, Kathy, can you hear me? I don't know if it's easier for you to raise it because I'm, I'm not really getting somewhere. Absolutely, no problem. We have a question uh, that came in, which is, aside from speaking out, what else can we do to support others who may be subject to discrimination? I can just offer one one small thing that I think most of us could be doing, which is I've made it a point kind of to to go into areas where where there are predominantly Asian American businesses, restaurants, um, things of that nature, and I've I patronized those particular establishments, knowing that they've they've been hit very hard and doing some small small some small part, and and frankly they're. You can tell how appreciative they are, and it's nice to actually just get some social interaction um, with with these folks who are struggling just like you are. And I, I think that goes for any population that's suffering right now, regardless of whether they're Asian or not. Very good. We also have a question as a recruiter and dealing with the general public and clients. How would you suggest we answer or acknowledge comments from our clients? Can you repeat that, Kathy? I, I missed sure. parts of it. Can you hear me okay? Okay. As a recruiter and dealing with the general public and clients, how would you suggest we answer or acknowledge the comments of our clients? I think what you can say is that, you know, I, I appreciate and understand why you might feel that way, but, you know, have you considered the, these other um, factors and the impact that statements like that might be having on, on broader society? I, I know that you probably don't mean it that way, but, um, you know, it's, it's tricky when it's a client, but um, nevertheless, I think that just because it's a client, uh, you shouldn't just let it go away, but, I don't know, James, you're a client, so maybe that's not how you'd want to have it handled. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. And that's tough, right? Because you're, you need to balance your personal views with your business needs. Um, I mean, it's a tricky question. I think, I think we've seen this at least once kind of this merging of, of personal and professional interest with with UC Berkeley when they sent out that memo about about things you may be feeling during the COVID crisis. And one of those points was an apprehension with interacting with Asian Americans or Chinese Americans. And they quickly retracted that statement and kind of apologized for it. So I think I think there is a general sentiment there uh, that People think it's okay to be uncomfortable with interacting with Asian Americans just because there's a virus that originated in China. And um, it's just something we have to acknowledge. And Sandra, I wish I, I had an answer. I, I, I don't, uh, I'm not sure. I, as a, personally, as a client, I would, I would think there would be, there would need to be a stronger stance against, against that sort of thinking. We also have a question. Could you comment on your experience and emotional reactions as a professional working largely among other professionals compared with Asian American friends or family who may not be working in similar environments? So the, the, the difference as a professional who works with others uh, versus friends or family who may not be working in similar environments and their experience and emotional issues. Um, absolutely. I think that it's important that we bear in mind that as uh, inconvenient as all of this may be for us, that as a profession, you know, we're privileged that we have the opportunity that we can pretty much work at home and we can use, you know, grocery delivery services and, um, and order things off the web and have them delivered that others may not have that, that leisure. Um, and even though we hear about 
uh, firms and corporations that are uh, maybe reducing pay or instituting pay cuts of, of some sort. Um, for the most part, I don't think that we are in nearly as dire a situation as professionals having to worry about, gee, are we going to be able to pay our bills? Um, the scary thing about this pandemic, from my vantage point, is the fact that in many ways, it was spread by the affluent, you know, people who could travel around the world on business and such, but um, the brunt of it, the danger is going to be borne by people who are not affluent and who are going to have to try to make do with in a gig economy. They're working for grocery delivery services. They're taking on jobs as, as cleaners. They're doing the, the really dirty and dangerous and scary work that we as professionals have the privilege that we, we don't have to do that, or at least not yet. Kathy, I, how I think we're 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 five minutes over one o'clock. I know Jen had originally mentioned that that we we might run over a little bit, um, but I do want to. Um, uh, I know you have on the screen now. You have the CLE information, um, recognizing that it's the CLE is still pending. But we 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 wanted to provide to you the 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 code word for the webinar so that. Um, uh, so you'll have it, and uh, once the CLE is approved, then you can get your CLE credit. Um, I don't know if there's any more questions. Um, Kathy, do you have any more questions? Uh, we do have we do have one, Albert. How um, do do you have any tips? And I know you did talk a little bit about this, but any tips for how to use affinity groups during this time? Yeah, I, I, for me, I feel like the it's the affinity groups is, um, in general, I think it's is is good in in not necessarily only in the time of crisis, right? I think the purpose of the affinity group and the reason why I think there are so many of us at the firm who are active in different organizations, um, including the affinity groups of the um, attorney of color um, bar association is that there is a some form of commonality and share culture and share identity and um, and 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 friendship and bonding so so that those relationships are already in existence so when there is a time of crisis that we're similar to this that we can stand as a group um, in the what's interesting is is that um, many member many APA lawyers here at the firm, we are members of the National Asian Pacific American Bar Association, and the National Asian Pacific Bar Association have um, and um, it have taken an, a a stand a public stand about some of the racial discrimination and the rhetoric that is um, that that we're witnessing, and 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 joining the stand is really organizations of, of all ethnic groups in issuing this public statement. And um, we as a firm, we're, we're very proud to be also stand next to NAPABA in joining that political, joining that statement that we, we are against racial discrimination and, and, um, and any, any um, racial bias. Um, so I think the, the, the ethnicity group is is something that it's not only just for the time of crisis. It's really it's it should be something that one should be proud of them uh, of one's heritage. One should be proud of the differences and embrace it and um, and to learn from each other because in 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 recognizing that we need to assimilate in into the greater um, business community, civic community as an American. But we can't lose sight of who we are and who um, our identity, our culture, our language, and that commonality. And that's and I think the affinity group helps that and maintain some element of balance in of being not only an American but also your cultural heritage. And that, and that's how I view it, and why I am as active as I am in 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 the 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 APA. Um, community and the legal community specifically, 
Um, so that's how I view it. And I don't know if others have if share share in similar thoughts. Okay. So if there's nothing else, and I think we are, um, you know, it's about 10 past one. And um, I, I want to, again, thank um, our panelists um, uh, who share their wisdom and their knowledge about this particular topic and their personal stories. Uh, so thank you very much, James, um, Chandra, Sufyan, uh, and, um, and Tamara for, um, for your, your time today to join our panel. Um, and specifically, I also wanna thank uh, Jen Redden, our diversity inclusion director for um, assembling this program, um, Kathleen Gutierrez for assembling the, the PowerPoint materials, um, and most importantly to all the participants who have joined our webinars um, you could be doing a lot of other things and, um, and the fact that you have signed on, we're, um, very appreciative of, of you wanting to understand the, the plight and, um, and what, uh, the attorneys or the, 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 the people of color and Asian, Asian Americans in general living in the United States might be feeling as we get back into the marketplace and how important it is. Um, you know, I think the takeaway messages is the education, how that how that is important and also um, be prepared and um, and um, and be ready and be vigilant and most importantly, be resilient in as we return to the office and as we um, come back the the COVID-19 and the general economic fallout that that is that has um, come with it. Um, so with that, um, I want to say that um, our next uh, COVID-19 seminar is on the on the uh, April 28th, and um, it's back to work. Some of the employment issues, um, and we hope that um, you will be able to join um, the our Haynes and Boone uh, COVID-19 seminar at on on the next April 28th. So with that, I think we're good. Um, thank you again very much. Thank all the panelists and all the participants. Um, stay safe, stay healthy, and um, uh, we will get through this and we will get through this uh, stronger. Thank you very much.